Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. It's what everybody is talking about this morning, and we will be talking about it in the next 15, 20 minutes. That's Castle Troy Limerick last night. Catching up with the very latest from Limerick in a while and the people, the residents association here who is now petrified it will happen in their neighbourhood over the next uh, couple of weeks or months. That's uh, going to form part of our discussions later this morning. 1857 the number to call, the text to WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie A lot of people asking me what I tweeted, what I was tweeting about when I said this morning, you know those times when you find out that there's another story behind a big story and you go, oh wow, look at that I'm not going to tell you what it is, just go looking for it it's one of the big stories of the day, but anyway before we go to Limerick and get the latest from Live 95 our sister station in Limerick I do want to look again at numbers, uh, COVID-19 numbers, here there, uh, David Nabarro from the World Health Organization who you will have heard on the opinion line once or twice warning that even though our numbers in this country are going well there is no cause to relax Uh, and that's one view that we will certainly return to but there's another view which was expressed in the Sunday Independent from uh, another uh, previous guest on the show we've been doing the Cork numbers now for months on end we've changed them to we were doing them Monday and Friday. We're now changing them to Tuesday and Friday just for the available data. There's more of it on a Tuesday. And we can see that here in Cork, we are going good. We're going well. We've the second best, if you want to use the term, second best figures in the country at the moment uh, in terms of 14-day figure per 100,000 people which is one of the metrics that people go on, the 14-day figure per 100,000 people. That's 66 at the moment. Kerry is lowest in the country with 54. Kilkenny third with 77, third lowest. If you go up to the top of that table, awfully currently the worst in the country at 401 per 100,000 population over the last 14 days. Dublin, in fact, has fallen to fifth place with 271. Limerick has 273. Listen back to what I played you a few minutes ago. Isn't that just what it's all about? But as the numbers go down, and as a number of countries, according to our counties rather, according to yesterday's uh, Neffet figures, Kilkenny, for example, had no new cases yesterday. Kerry had less than five. We had 15 yesterday. Wexford, six. Leitrim, no cases. Carlo, Donegal, Tipperary, less than five. Mayo, seven. So some counties are doing really well on their daily. Waffley, in fact, even though it's the worst in the country, had a good day yesterday, less than five cases. But Professor Julian Marcel from uh, UCD, who's a member of uh, ISAG, the uh, scientific advisory group, wrote in the Sunday Independent that now it is time to look at... to look at rewarding the regions and the counties and the areas who've done a better job. Reward counties that have kept grim disease at bay, which amounts to a geographical basis for reopening parts or all of the economy. Professor Marcel, good morning to you. Good morning. 
Good to catch you again. Uh, this is something we've talked about with both yourself before and indeed Professor Anthony Staines. The idea that, yeah. say, Kerry Cork at the moment as a duo doing exceptionally well and on my predictions, Cork will get down to single figures per day by, by Easter time, that, that that kind of an effort could be or should be regionally rewarded. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's um, it's not the, a new idea. It's um, it's been discussed before. We refer to it as the green zone strategy because the, the zones, the areas that would reach zero would be green, zero or, or very low, depending on what we want to do. Mm. And, there's, there's been a huge uh, misunderstanding, hasn't there, Julianne, recently of what exactly zero COVID means. Some of it deliberate, some of it just down to people who don't read the documentation. It doesn't mean no cases. Well, it means no community cases that we cannot uh, explain, you know, like you get people uh, with COVID and you don't know where they got it or you don't know their contacts or something. You could have uh, cases on, let's say the country that zero COVID, you could have cases that emerge every now and then, um, let's say in hotel quarantine, but you control those cases, you isolate them. So it would still be considered zero COVID. And in any case, what ISAG is saying is the target is zero. Uh, the important point is to work hard to get as close as we can to zero. Mm. Um, we don't know who, where we'll get uh, with whatever efforts we make. Nobody knows that, but the point is to try yeah. as hard as we can. And that's where the geographical perspective comes into play. Um, Every country that has succeeded, to my knowledge, has really cut the problem in smaller problems. So you have areas in Ireland that are different from other areas. It makes no sense to consider all of them equally the same. So, like you said, Kerry, uh, Cork, uh, if they reach zero or near zero, there's no reason why let's say all the schools should be closed and carry if Dublin has uh, big outbreaks. It doesn't make sense. Uh, that's what I meant in the article by rewarding yeah. the counties that are doing well. Now, the idea is, is good and in fact it has worked in Australia because uh, we saw mm-hmm. a very good article there on ABC News a few weeks ago about how they have green zones. The problem is their green zone and the red zone they can be four or five hundred miles apart. Here, you could necessarily have a green zone, and the neighbouring county is red. How do you police that? Well, that's the million-dollar question. I mean, you you can have a green zone, let's say Kerry or Cork or a part of the county, but if you don't uh, regulate traffic in and out, you're going to lose that status very quickly. Yeah. Let's say you open all the pubs in Cork, but nowhere else in in Ireland, you can see that some people will want to go to the pub in, in Cork. Yeah. So you have to regulate that. It, and it may not be um, possible to, in fact, it won't be possible to open everything, let's say, in Cork if uh, the rest of the country has many cases because you always have essential workers in and out of Cork that, you know, statistically might bring a few infections. But still, you can have some relaxation of the restrictions, like schools is a good example, uh, or other essential businesses or semi-essential businesses that could reopen. Um, if, if you look at actually Cork and Kerry is the, the perfect example if you look at it really because mm-hmm. Cork and Kerry both at, at the bottom of the table at the moment and Limerick which borders them both fourth from the top risky yeah, yeah, to say the it. least 
But there are even places like Inishir uh, on the islands. From my understanding, they're at zero COVID and have been for a while. Um, so there's no reason why you couldn't open up a little bit um, those places. And people might say, oh, well, uh, it's just a small island and it's very few people. But it really gives an example to everybody in the country and even in Europe that you see we can get to that level we can have those um, freedoms if we do it well and you can even practice uh, your logistics um, with those small areas that are easily contained uh, we saw the Isle of Man a few weeks ago yeah. that we were shown all the guys in the pubs right so uh, people remember that and say, oh, okay it might work um, so you can even go um, by parish or by sub-county area or whatever works. Uh, it depends yeah. on the geography. You'll have areas, as you will know better than me, in Cork or Kerry, that just happen to be very easily uh, controlled for the traffic because maybe they're in a valley or something. They're surrounded by lakes or whatever. There's only a few roads uh, going in that area. So you could try that um, and... I suspect that the government doesn't want to do that or doesn't support that too much because the the day you'll have that, let's say Cork at zero COVID or part of Cork, this is very, very difficult for the government to say, oh, we'll ignore that. We won't protect Cork, you know, because we're not interested because the pressure will be so high. People will say, my God, we've reached zero COVID. Why don't we keep it like that? And it will become some kind of um, unstoppable um, movement. People uh, will get proud that. of their performance and they'll want to be rewarded for it. Exactly. Everybody I talk to, uh, let's say in Australia or countries that made it successfully, they all said the same thing. They said, you'll see the day you'll have zero COVID, people will take so much pride in their community, businesses, and individuals, schools, that they will really start policing the area very, very tightly, not in a violent fashion, but, you know, just to make sure that everybody is sticking to the rules. And if businesses are open uh, in an area, I mean, people will get behind a, a tight um, management of the traffic in and out of that area. Um, because why would you go to sacrifice through sacrifices to reach that stage if you just let it go in, in a few days. Um, the one thing we have no, we have discovered though recently, Julian, is th- that when you get to that level, it is it is so fragile. Like you look at Melbourne in the last couple of weeks, you look at Auckland now, they're struggling. They'll get back, they will get back again, but, but very fragile and a series of very fast lockdowns, which has led to... And look, on this on this program, we have very much um, brought to the fore the argument for trying to drive down towards zero. But there is an argument out there as well that it's that it's facile, that it can't be done. Yeah, I mean, uh, nobody denies that it, it is difficult. And like you said, in even countries that have done it really well, like New Zealand, they really go into full lockdown for an area uh, when there's. Know, one case that they can't explain so you have to react properly it requires discipline that's why ultimately ireland being an island it would be very much much easier to deal with um, the island as a whole because then you have to control 
uh, not, you know, like a dozen roads or whatever in the mm. county. You have only to control a few ports and a few airports, which is a very much simpler task than, um, you know, all the back roads and everything, yeah, to yeah. police checkpoints. But it's a way to there. It's like a crowbar, you know, to open um, the treasure in a way. You start with a county and then people, even in the north, the government in the north, we're always told, you know, very um, uncollaborative. Okay, that, that there's a point to that. But then if you see some counties in the south getting to zero, the political pressure is very high now. Now it's easy for politicians to dismiss everything zero COVID because there's so many cases. Oh, it's impossible. You guys are, you know, just idealistic. Don't you see the number of cases we have? It's impossible. But when it becomes possible in one place, then you can't have that argument anymore. Uh, you have to, to work for it. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. the part of politics. With regards to the North, of course, one of the main arguments made is, oh, because of the border that Ireland, the Republic, mm-hmm. couldn't couldn't achieve this. Ironically, looking at their numbers and doing a bit of projection on their numbers, they'll be at lower levels than we will very quickly. Yeah, it might be them who have to worry about the border uh, at some point. But the border, it's a very good question. Uh, I would say that's the question that I hear the most often when, um, you know, I say, what about an elimination strategy, a zero COVID strategy? And it's true that the border is challenging in Ireland, right? There's no point denying that. It's a porous border, um, a lot of cross-border movement. It's a small, distances are small. We're not in Australia, for example. But there are ways that are very obvious that you can manage uh, the border in a way that will not be 100% perfect. Perfect. It'll be whatever, 80% perfect or 90%. And that will really be uh, helpful. So if you control traffic tightly enough at the border, yeah. Cork and Kerry, counties in the south, will be able to really reach zero much more easily. And then you can use that, like I said, to um, show the North and other people that, you know, let's put our heads it, it together. It can be done. You'd, you'd yeah. have to get things, if you wanted to open up briefly, you'd, you'd, you'd have to get businesses, for example, like restaurants and hotels to agree that if Cork, Kerry, and for argument's sake, Waterford, because they neighbour each other, if Cork, Kerry, and Waterford yeah. form a green zone, that you'll yeah. only take bookings from Cork, Kerry and Waterford for a period of time. You'd have to get them on board with that, wouldn't you, the hotels? You would, yeah. You would have to do that. And again, um, it's better that than uh, than, um, no customers at all than having the hotel closed. So a green zone in Ireland will not be you know, a perfectly normal life uh, with... Neither would you have tourists from abroad, right, in those green zones. But just think about the schools. I mean, if you had had the schools open for how many months they were closed now, it would be such a big improvement. And just that would be worth it. Um, So that's what it's all about. Uh, And again, the Green Zone strategy is not just an Irish um, idea at all. Um, In Europe, there are groups having the same idea And uh, they were even talking about, let's say, in Germany, you have certain states that are uh, near zero and you could have that. And you could even have um, some travel, um, international travel from green zone to green zone. Now, it would have to be very well monitored, right? But at least uh, in principle, you could imagine something like that. And that would even give uh, a small gift to the airline industry, right? Um, But... um, 
and might and might allow us to get back travelling again for holidays between green zone to green zone and, and possibly people who would be vaccinated going from one green zone to another. I'll leave it there again with you for today. Thank you very much. That's Julianne Merciel, Associate Professor at the UCD School of Geography. Thank you very much, Julianne. He's a member of ISAG, uh, the group advising or offering to advise on zero COVID because I'm not sure if the government has actually sat down and met these people and said, what are you talking about? There's a lot of nonsense going around at the moment uh, about you know try, trying to tear down the idea of zero COVID, that it could not be done. It could, it has, and it has been done, and it could again. And maybe a green zone. What about that idea that if Cork and Kerry and Waterford and Kilkenny, which is flying at the moment, what if they were a whole zone... And we were told, right, you need to protect that zone now because you can open to level two, as one of, of the five say. You can open to level two, but you've got to mind it and monitor it. People will be a lot more careful if they thought they'd have to mind it and monitor it. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Now, this street party happened last night in Castle Troy in County Limerick, which is pretty much university district. Gillian Devlin is head of news at Live 95, which is, of course, our colleague station in the wireless group in Limerick. Gillian, good morning. Morning, PJ. It is college zone, isn't it? It's college court in Castle Troy. It's right next to the university, um, which is part of Limerick City, really, um, more than the county, but on the outskirts of the city. So College Court is largely occupied by students. There are ordinary residents living there, though, as well, um, but it's not part of the university campus. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have probably seen some of the footage online overnight because it's literally gone viral, and it's it's quite shocking, really. Uh, This this wasn't no ordinary party. Uh, Well over 100 students outside, there were students on roofs, there were students firing off fireworks uh, there was no shyness there, they were dancing in front of the cameras, uh, singing at loud voices, uh, old 80s classics funnily enough um, but it, there was no trying to hide what was going on and from what we're learning it, it, this was building from early yesterday afternoon, this actually started with much smaller groups, fine weather, we lovely weather here in Limerick yesterday, a lot of the country did and you know students were actually out swimming in groups as well in parts of the River Shannon and then others gathered in this area uh, in College Court, which has been a controversial area for many years. You know, Rag Week, Freshers Week, um, that kind of thing. Charity Week, as the, the students call it now uh, as well. You know, it's had trouble on and off. Mm. We're ordinary residents complaining about student parties there, but... Uh, we had the president of the university on with us not so long ago, and she said that house parties weren't a big problem, that it was largely the COVID numbers were largely as a result of students mixing in study groups and some casual mixing that was going on. But last night, just blew that out of the water. Because there, there has been a problem with, with COVID numbers around UL, hasn't there? There's been, there's been clusters and, and, and problems there. Big problems, yeah. big problems. Limerick has done very well as a county since Christmas in bringing 
the figures down, the positive cases down, except in that one area. Limerick City East has two and a half times the national average and they've had to open up clinics and they've encouraged every single student to go and get tested, whether they've symptoms or not, whether they're a close contact or not, to to go and get tested. And what's very worrying, PJ, is this morning, we have been contacted by some of our listeners saying they know of people who have tested positive are supposed to be self-isolating and attended last night. Oh dear, oh dear, which is a super spreader waiting to happen. Yeah, I'm just looking at the daily figures from yesterday, I mean, yes, you're you're fourth in the table, as it were, at the moment on a 14-day average of 273, but yesterday there was only 11 cases reported in Limerick, which, which goes to your argument that actually that, that most parts are doing well, but you have this cluster around the university. Now, what happened... Gillian, was it devilment or was it defiance? What I mean by that is, was there was there an edge of protest here, or was it just letting off steam? I'd I'd be afraid to say that there was an edge of protest. There didn't seem to be. What's bothering us this morning here in the station, in the messages that we're getting, is there's some people who are afraid to come on air because they've been abused for tweeting about it last night. They've got abuse online. They've been contacted. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that anybody's been threatened, but there's a, there's a fear factor there. You know, they don't want to be seen to, to be criticising the students for any sort of backlash that they might get. I think it was a, bit, a letting off of steam. It was also... A lot of those students will have tested positive already. You know, they will have been through... Some of them may have self-isolated for their two weeks or whatever. So I think there is an... Uh, this sort of belief amongst themselves that, oh, sure, I'm immune now. I've had it. I've done my bit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And they find it very difficult to continue to follow the guidelines. Um, the good weather and drinking from early on in the afternoon, I think that, that led to a lot of it as well. But what's going to be very difficult now for the university is to try and follow up on this. There's, people are going to demand action. They've issued this, uh, a statement this morning just in the last 10 minutes, really, saying that, you know, students who are found to have broken the guidelines will face the full rigour of the disciplinary process, including temporary suspension or possible expulsion. Mm. About how many people are at the university at the moment? I mean, seeing most of our students are studying from home. Well, most of the, the UL students would be studying from home as well, but that college court area is a large area. There's another area not far from it as well, residential. And, I mean, there are students from all over the country, but there are also, there are some people, as I mentioned, there are ordinary residents, people who have jobs as well. But I know of young people who have, let's say, been working in the hospitality industry, don't have a job at the moment, who have literally moved out to these areas in order to take part in what the social life is that's going on there. They're not studying at all, but they want some kind of a life living with young people, don't want to be home with mummy and daddy. And that's creating part of the problem as well. We had that during the summer, and it's, it's likely to happen again this summer when no university lectures are taking place. These houses fill up with young people who just want to have some kind of a social life and be mixing with people of their own age group. And you know, Gillian, uh, it is very hard not to have some sympathy for that because for the second summer in a row they're going to miss the J1 opportunity they're going to miss all the opportunities that you and I and others had when we were in college that's been denied to them it's understandable that they would get a bit hit up about it look I, I totally understand that I've 
two kids myself who are college age. One is final year he uh, and he's stuck at home becoming very quickly addicted to playstation he's going nowhere and i have another one up in dublin and uh, you know i i see what they're missing out on i remember what it was like and know how good it was at that age so my heart breaks at what they're missing out on and they're the people i feel sorry for not just my own kids but all the, the students who are doing nothing and not having a social life, life, they're the ones I feel sorry for this morning because they're being tarred with this brush of, you know, students, look at them, look what they're carrying on. Most of them are having no life whatsoever, yet they're also being criticised because this crowd yesterday went and did what they did. And lastly, uh, will there be consequences? The college may have consequences. I know there were a number of arrests. What are Gardaí saying to you this morning, Nina Jo? Gardaí are saying that they're going to, you know, they've... We'll send a file to the DP, DPP in relation to the 30 fixed penalty notices that they issued. Um, obviously, there were two public order arrests and there was one uh, under the misuse of drugs legislation, but only three arrests in total with, for, for that very large gathering. Uh, they did spend a lot of time, you know, engaging. They do this thing of engaging with the students, encouraging them and all that before they, you know, the, arresting is the last resort. They say they'll maintain their patrols. They'll maintain their uh, contact with the authorities in UL, but it is very difficult for UL authorities to clamp down on this when it's accommodation that's off campus. Same problem as UCC has all yeah. the time. Gillian, thank you very much. Gillian Devlin, Head of News at Live 95 in Limerick, which is uh, one of our sister stations in the wireless group. Thank you, Gillian. 1850-715-996. On zero COVID. Tim, can you explain to me, please, why we should go for zero when by the end of the summer we'll have a large percent of the population, including all of the most vulnerable, vaccinated? Well, Tim, the logic is in what you say. Absolutely. Drive the cases down as low as you possibly can, as close to zero as you possibly can, while you are vaccinating the vulnerable and then the rest of us who aren't vulnerable but want to get vaccinated anyway. So that by the time enough people are vaccinated, community transmission will be so low, you'll have done pretty close to an elimination job. The two make absolute sense in this demented mess that I call a mind. I don't know if they make sense in yours. I, I can't say. Kate says, never take into account the public reaction and public mood when they make decisions, as do the government. They will never let us out of lockdown now because it'll be seen as rewarding protest and partying. Hi, PJ, that party is nothing new. Imagine next door in a terraced house. We could have gatherings any time of the year. Uh, there could be 30 plus in a small house, but they say it's not a party, just friends over. And what can we do? 1850-715-996. There are concerns here too that we could be about to see that happening in Cork. If not this month, then next month or the month after. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Staying at home, working from home, I'm here to help you through the afternoons. Oh, I feel nice, man. It's tough. Putting you on the
on the radio. I'm so embarrassed. All your favourite tunes, the latest on what's going on in Cork. If it's trending, I'm telling you about it and some brilliant giveaways. Thanks very much. Love the show. Simon Murdoch, midday to 4 p.m. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. On Corks 96 FM. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Corks 96 FM. You can sense what Gillian Devlin is telling us, the, the anger in, in ordinary folk in Limerick looking on at that display in Castle Troy in College Court uh, last night when most of them are doing their absolute level best to behave and follow the restrictions and try to get the numbers down and try to get their lives and their freedom and their businesses back. And as she said to me, Limerick is almost at the top of the table in terms of case numbers, but in reality, it's just one part of the city. It's one region, if you like, within the city and county. And that yesterday, in fact, they only had 11 cases in the day. And their 14-day incidence rate, the one we tell you about all the time, is 273. Now, that compares... That compares to Cork, which as of this morning, Cork's 14-day incident is 66.3. So we're doing an awful lot better than Limerick at at this point. But the concern has been expressed uh, by the Magazine Road Residents Association and indeed others that we could be about to see scenes in College Road, Magazine Road, that general area, Bandon Road, scenes like what we saw last night in Limerick. It's probably fair to say though, Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road Residents Association, we never saw anything quite that bad last summer. Good morning. Good morning PJ and thanks for having me on. Uh, PJ, we saw similar events last summer in our area. We had videos of similar events in our areas, not quite as big a crowd, but definitely you know, up to 50 or 60 people at houses and uh, parties and houses. And I suppose, you know, we had our residents meeting there on um, on night and it was attended by representatives of UCC and also on Garda Síochána and our local councillors. And what we were talking about at that meeting is the actual alarm that we felt in the last two weeks to be contacted by a number of responsible landlords to tell us that they never had such a demand for houses in the summer. One landlady contacted us to say that she's having up to 12 calls a day for people looking for summer lets, sounding very young and, you know... Is she refusing them? She is, she is. And we have responsible landlords. We have another landlord, he's about nine houses in the area. He's going to be refusing them. But what we have heard and that we know... Our usual suspects, our usual landlords that are irresponsible, they are going to rent out. And that is so, so unfair to us as a community. But also, I suppose, PJ, like, you know, it risks the health, well-being and safety of us. We risk the health, well-being of us, so the people are going to be going into those houses. Last summer, when they were all living in the houses and huge Mm -hmm. numbers were up there, and we spoke many, many times, was there at any point significant clusters traced back to the houses? I don't know that. I wouldn't know for definite. I do believe, you know, that we heard that this part of the city had the highest numbers at one stage. And I do believe, you know, that we heard, you know, anecdotally that there was complete houses that were tested. But the reality, I suppose, for us is that what we do know 
And when we've held our first protest last summer, because what happened to us was outrageous, outrageous. Uh, like, you know, we lost the enjoyment of our homes. We lost the enjoyment of our back gardens. We had nowhere to go. We were supposed to stay at home. And yet we had lost the enjoyment of our community as well. And, you know, what happened to us really was because landlords, I suppose they could have said last year that they, you know, were caught on the hop. But any landlord know that knowingly, and that's what they do, they, they know what they're doing. Renting out a house for parking for the summer, I believe, is, you know, is committing a crime and that they should be Well, unfortunately, they're not, Catherine. They're not committing any crime. But, we need, we, they, they, but for us, it is a crime because we're, it feels like it's, it's criminal to us. We oh, want I know, no, no, no. The point I'm yeah. trying to make, you, you, yeah. you feel yeah. very hard yeah. done by. Yeah, and and you know, you're entitled to feel that way, but, but no criminal act has been committed. Yes. Here. And that's what we're calling for now, um, PJ. We've issued a press release as to coincidence. We issued it yesterday, like, or yesterday evening, in, and then we saw what happened in Limerick last night. What we want is irresponsible landlords to be fined and to be prosecuted. Last year, we were told, like, that young people, and unfortunately, not all young people, but the young people who did party in our area kept us awake all night, risk spreading COVID. We did eventually, um, on Gardaí Corner, got the powers to fine and to prosecute hosts of, um, you know, people who host these parties. Mm. And that has happened in our area. And I would have to say, uh, PJ, like, you know, all winter now, we're okay. We're okay here at the moment. We're back to enjoying our community. There might be an odd flare-up, you know what I mean? Like, But since last October, we're back to where we always are sharing yeah. our community with young people. But we're in fear, in fear of what's going to happen in May. And what we'd also want to do, I really want to make a plea, a plea to the parents and young people of our neighbouring parishes from Douglas, from Rochestown, from, uh, from as near as Bishopstown, and also to Ballancolic. The solution to your children being locked up all year and nearly for setting into the second year is not to put them into our community for the summer. That's what they did. Parents last year, they financed and supported their young sons and daughters to come into our area for the, for the summer. It's unacceptable. Yeah. They wouldn't that's, like, that's kind of running the risk, Catherine, of, of setting district against district here. Well, no, but it's, it's what happened. I mean, the community guards, one of the community guards at us last year said, Catherine, I don't believe, she said, that there are any young people left in Douglas because every house I went to. And that's like, I'm just saying to them, like, you know, Parents are responsible. We're all responsible. And in general, as I say, the students that we have around here at the moment, very responsible. Yeah. But the houses that are going to be let for the summer and the parents that finance and support their young sons and daughters to come into those summer, those houses for summer, what they're doing is wrong. It's wrong. And do you, you, know, do you take well, any, any, have you have any time for, for the argument that, look, these young people have lost one year and are now about to lose a second year of their lives. They have missed out on so, so much. And you can see why. They're they're just bursting to do something, to be kids. I know. And, and as well as that, we, I know that nobody has the monopoly on the suffering in the COVID-19. But I think as well, I suppose I can just speak in as a resident here. I, we, we have um, had a summer last year where we had to take to the streets. We had to go to court. An ordinary residence association, and you know, financially is supporting that as well. You know, putting yeah. our money where our mouths were for a night's sleep. That's wrong. It's yeah. wrong. And we need UCC to, and they have, you know, since last year, they've come on board very much. But they clearly, you know, want to make a statement, like, you know, and nobody wants to see a student exposed. But, like, they but have. You know, to but you know yourself, they have no powers if the house is not part of their accommodation system. 
No, they, well, they, but they are, if they're students, like what they do is, I suppose, you know, they have some kind of a leeway in so far as that they risk the reputation of the college. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you see what happened in Limerick, you know, that if you had a son and daughter and like in this day and age now, because we're all online, you could send your son or your daughter to Cambridge, you could send them to Edinburgh, you could send them anywhere to, you know, yeah. online to do a course that they could go there to study. Okay. But like, you're not going to send your son or your daughter to an area that right. seems to be out of control. Catherine, I'm going to leave it with you there because we've got a, a caller uh, on the line from Limerick who was, thank you Catherine Clancy, who was an eyewitness last night. And in fact, I think, Mustafa, you took the video that, that I played a clip of earlier on, this one. Uh, hi, um, how are you? Hi, Mustafa. Is it live or pre-recorded? Sorry to ask. No, we're live now, Mustafa. Thank you very uh, much. Uh, you, you, you posted that video, which that was taken right outside your house. Yeah, yeah, it was from my window, actually. Describe what you could see. Uh, well, uh, it started uh, half two or three, and um, the number was ten to twenty. But it 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 has escalated by time until it became. I can say uh, around eighty to hundred students. Uh, they were everywhere, but. The main point was by my house, uh, but when they started, they were um, by their houses, which is next to me. And yeah, this is this was the situation. It it was tough. Like there was there were parties every now and then uh, during the weekend uh, in their houses, but it never. I never saw that number of students since the beginning of uh, the pandemic. So, yeah. Have yeah. you lived in that area for a long time? Are you a journalist by profession, Mustafa? Have you lived in that area for a long time? Uh, I lived here since uh, February last year. Last year. Okay, so so right through the pandemic, really. So, so yeah. have, have you seen gatherings like this before? No, I didn't see that number of students before, actually. Uh, just... Uh, in a stable in university uh, uh, place uh, when it was open, but yeah. I never seen it in this area before. No. Yeah, yeah. And given your work as as a journalist, which we, we've had a chance to see in CNN and read about in the Guardian and places like that, you've been in parts of the world where where there is conflict. But what was the mood? Your gives you the the ability to sense mood. What was the mood like, Mustafa, last night? Like I, I, the thing is, I'm working full time and I'm still studying part time, mm. and plus that I'm doing some extra work. Um, so I uh, like Limerick was uh, the best place um, after being in in Middle East for for nine years. I have covered conflicts and all of that. So Limerick was uh, the best place to live in as a peaceful place. Yeah. I needed that time, but um, it was really tough to to just see that uh, yesterday. Did it feel hostile uh, or just that people were having a party? Did it feel hostile? Did what? Did they seem hostile or were they just having a party? Uh, they, it, is, it is like we can literally, we can call it, it is, uh, nightclub but in the street so okay. yeah uh, there were there was the speakers uh, there were like people 
uh, increasing every minute. Yeah, more people. So, yeah. yeah, we it is understandable that it is it is tough that they they are leaving the pandemic a year and some people can't deal with it anymore. But they they need to understand that some of them living with vulnerable people and they need to respect their neighbors who are like not. Most of the residents in this area are students, but there are some old people, there are some professionals uh, living here. Yeah. Like my two housemates are not students anymore. They are well working full time. Um, so they, they just need to respect um, the people living at the same area. So. Yeah. Well, your, your, your piece of video went viral overnight and it seems to be just just an overgrown party rather than being anything particularly hostile but not welcome at any time of year let alone this time to be having parties in the streets. Mustafa Darwish joining me there from Limerick. He's a journalist. He's studying in UL at the moment but a journalist and you'll have read his stuff in The Guardian or indeed you might have seen it on CNN over the years. He spent the last number of years covering uh, Middle Eastern conflicts and the likes and now he happens to imagine being in the right place at the right time. A journalist uh, living right next door to where that was happening last night. Thank you, Mustafa. The Irish Secondary Students Union is having a, a virtual meeting today with the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, where they will bring up questions very much on the minds of students. No, no doubt, I imagine the Leaving Cert will be high on the agenda. Alicia Joy O'Sullivan. Uh, morning, Alicia. How are you? Um, good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? Good, good, good. You will be among those speaking with the Minister today in this virtual meeting. What kind of things are going to come up? Yeah, um, actually, just to clarify, it's actually tomorrow. Oh, um, I beg your pardon. <laughs> no worries at all, just uh, in case any students are listening. It's tomorrow at uh, 5.30 across all our social media, so Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook. Um, what kind of questions will we be asking, I suppose? The questions we've been getting uh, most regularly from students, we actually had kind of online town hall event last Sunday um, where we heard from students directly right across the country. Any student could come. Um, I suppose the questions most being asked I suppose just clarifications really about the guidelines that were set out um, by the government and the State Examinations Commission, particularly I suppose about the accredited grades process what projects will go in, what projects do I not have to finish. Um, and I suppose particularly um, set out in the guidelines, guideline, there was a very specific um, sentence that said that uh, teachers should not run more than three tests per subject um, until, from, from, now, from the return to school until the end of the year. Yeah. That being there is both to ensure that there is no over-assessment or no unnecessary stress put on students about having tests every week to bulk up their accredited grade, perhaps. And we've had reports actually from students, um, particularly uh, in, the, in the last few days over uh, in the return to school of, of teachers saying, well, um, that's not a, you know, I'm the teacher, I'm going to not follow that rule. Um, and you have kind of, you can't kind of argue with me on it. Yeah. Um, teachers doing their own thing, in other words. I suppose that's kind of a worrying yeah. situation because we would have been very aware of over-assessment before Christmas, actually, because school bodies would have been fearing a calculated grade process happening and we would have mentioned and all the other stakeholders would have said this is a worrying situation and I suppose this was put in to try and um, mitigate that happening yeah. now in the coming months. So that'll, so that'll come up with, with the Minister tomorrow. Also, I suppose the return to school 
will come yeah. up. Leaving Church back since Monday, the rest of you due back, I think, is it is it after the Easter holidays. What concerns will, will you be raising with the minister? Yeah, so on the return to school, I suppose it's quite difficult um, from someone who maybe doesn't have a background in science or immunology, I suppose, to understand really, like, how is it safe um, for uh, a couple of hundred or possibly over a thousand or more students walking into a school building um, when, you know, it's not really, it's not even safe to meet someone from outside your household. It's not safe to go past five kilometres. So we're going to be asking kind of about, can you explain how this is safe for students in um, in a way that's understandable? Because I think sometimes um, the public health advice can be quite confusing and, um, you know, even for ourselves to understand, you know, the... the um, the health procedures they're putting in place to ensure yeah. students are safe now returning back. So you, you kind of want some reassurance that, that everything has been done to make sure that when you do go back, uh, you, you stay safe. The meeting is streaming tomorrow on all your platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, tomorrow uh, the 4th at, at half five. For uh, at no, no reason other than time, I'm going to leave it there, Alicia. Thank you very much. That's Alicia Joy O'Sullivan uh, from the Irish Secondary Students Union meeting with the Minister of Education, Norma Foley, to bring up questions that are high on their minds. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996, the number to call the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. If you missed anything in the first hour of our program today, do not forget it goes up on podcast in early afternoon on all of your platforms. We start by putting the link on Twitter and then it goes to all of the usual podcast platforms and including the Cork's 96FM app where you'll find it in the podcasts section. We do that for you every afternoon to get to hear the show again and a lot of people listen to it in various parts of the world various parts of the country when they're off when they're driving home when they're out for a walk in the evening with the dog they listen if you want to contact us uh, as a podcast listener the best way of course is opinion at 96fm.ie just on some of the stuff we were dealing with in that first hour where are we going with the yes all I hear is given the amount of vaccines available to Republic of Ireland that we're doing very well distributing them this is not true at all in my opinion my relative is going on 90 she got a phone call on February 16th to say she'd be vaccinated late that week uh, still waiting no one knows what happened her vaccine batch that is unfortunately happening all too frequently we started with Wyon Stansfield from Pinocchio about his parents couple of weeks ago, not too sure if they've gotten their jabs since, but they were disappointed and there's been a lot of disappointment. We would only hope that that will smooth itself out. PJ, your stats for the amount of cases confirmed in Cork certainly are very good, but PJ, the reality is there are also many, many cases go undetected because people won't have serious symptoms and they couldn't be arsed about having a test, but they just carry on as normal and spread the virus. They're around and they're living among us. Tom, we have been saying this since the start. And in fairness, Fergal Barry has constantly reminded me to not forget to keep saying it because there are. There are people who just couldn't be bothered their Barney. They're part of the problem, by the way, these people. They couldn't be bothered their Barney going for a test. I'm grand. I'm fine. A bit no cough. I'll be grand in a few days. They don't get tested. They go about their business as normal and they're shedding and spreading like wildfire. They're out there. They're not counted in the tests. There's nothing we can do about it. The only thing we can hope for is that some of the people that these idiots 
for that is what they, they are, these idiots would infect, well, that they get tested. So we have to count those cases. That's the only thing that we can hope for. But it's a very, very, very valid point. 1850-715-996. Now, I mentioned to you with some good news about a listener, and it is great when this happens. Back in January 14th of 2019, yes, it, I know, it's a long time ago, before, it's two over two years ago now, uh, we featured a lady called Mary, and not her real name. At the time, she was undergoing IVF and having all kinds of problems with the treatment and trying to get herself sorted out, and she was distressed and upset, and she really didn't didn't hold out much hope. Um, but she told us her story. She just called us this morning to say that she's 18 weeks pregnant and they reckon she's out of the danger zone that the new which is the 12 week mark the new clinic she's dealing with are excellent Uh, we'll have more details on this over the next couple of days that is fantastic news that brightens up any morning on this show thank you for that 1850-715-996 on the gathering in Limerick. I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it because that's going to be a kind of a running thing throughout the course of the morning. For many weeks now and months, we've spoken about mental health. And mental health of young people is, is a big thing of late. And I suppose if you take what happened in Limerick last night and if you take what's going to happen in College Road when they start moving into the houses again, they, in their way, I guess, are looking after their own mental health. You might agree or disagree with it but they would tell you that that's for their mental health. You would probably disagree, most people would. But come down to younger kids, to smallies. Do we look at the smallies and wonder about their mental health? Do we look at the smallies and wonder how it's affecting them? And not not just missing school. That's They're back at school now and they'll start going back at school and hopefully everything will be fine. But other than just missing school, how else is it bothering them? And the other morning, we were talking to Teresa, who's a school principal, about the return to school of the little ones. And she made a very, very good point. She said that we're not going into the academic lessony stuff much just yet because they want an opportunity to talk. They want an opportunity to meet. They want an opportunity to catch up with their friends. And they are frightened as well by... Stories of death and stories of sickness and stories of don't go near granny because she might die. They are frightened of that. And teachers are taking that into account or in, in, yeah, into consideration when they are preparing to teach our, our children. And children, look, the most part, and psychologist Dr. Melly Coyne was on with me there last week, the week before, and she said, look, most of them will be fine. And we can rest assured most of them will be grand. But... For those who won't, we've got to make provision. Uh, And there's a mental health programme now for uh, kids and teens in lockdown. Uh, Sarah Cooney is the expert behind it. Hi, Sarah. Good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. They are a whole category that kind of we're looking after ourselves and we're minding the the students and the leave inserts and everybody. And we think that, look, the smallies will be grand. And indeed, for the most part, they will we've got to take that on board, but we've got to help them too. How do we do that? 
Absolutely. Um, I think the, the impact COVID-19 has had on children socially, we're only going to see when things start opening up again. Um, and it's obviously created a huge atmosphere of fear for everybody. And Sarah, I just want to give you back there to Terry for a second. I'm trying to improve that line because I want to spend a few minutes talking to you and that's just not the best phone line in the world. Let's see if I can clean it up a little bit. I'll just hand you back there to, to Terry of Fergal so you can we clean that up a small bit because it's, 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 it's a dodgy enough old line. Just on the party in Limerick and all this, the ease of access to alcohol in large quantities is a contributing factor. Perhaps now is the time we need to revisit the age limit for the purchasing of alcohol off-licence and increased that age to 24, while it remains at 18 in the trade-controlled environment, i.e. the pub, says uh, Paddy Council- Councillor Paddy Dineen, who is, of course, a publican uh, as well. Um, publicans, by the way, have wanted to do that for a long time, since before COVID. Not a lot of publicans have said, if you couldn't buy an off-licence drink, everyone would come into my pub and everything would be regulated and grand. But I do take the point. I do take the point. Hi PJ, I must say, listening to the media, not your show now, but listening to the media is becoming quite offensive. Every show on the Nationals now seems to have some apologist for young hooligans coming on trying to make up for their teen nerd years by getting in with the young people, who in my opinion are now public health criminals. Do these people not realise they are sound, they sound offensive, stupid and crazy? To everyone, the vast majority of young people are not breaking the law at all, and that is true. Just listening to Catherine Clancy, I can promise and swear students are looking to rent houses for the summer. My niece has friends that are given their deposits coming soon and parties are planned. They're calling it Student Holiday 2021. And Andrew in Blackpool, these students are referred to as our brightest and the future, and that's quite unsettling. If this is what the future is, it doesn't bode well. To go to college is viewed in society as an honour and this is what the students do. This, PJ, as you well know, is nothing new. We all know the offending students are not from the cities. They're students from rural areas who think they can do what they want. When they're back in their own country villages, they'd abide by the rules and do no wrong at all because it's about the parish and the gap. It's a pity they can't have that kind of respect when they come to the big smoke, so to speak, which opens a whole chapter in the conversation. Andrew, thank you for that. 1850 Let us see if we can get a better line for Sarah, and I think we can. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Ah, oh, that's great. Thanks for your patience. That's an awful lot better. So let's, let, not, let's look at the categories under which we might help the young people. Absolutely. So, as I was saying, there's quite a large atmosphere of fear at the moment, and I think the best way to tackle that is don't be afraid to be honest with your children in an age-appropriate and understanding way, you know, in terms of what they understand. Mm. Um, Because there's a misperception that what children don't know won't hurt them, but they're still feeling that atmosphere of fear from the parents. And children are extremely perceptive and subconsciously know when there's something wrong with their primary caregivers. So, you know, they're going to feel that fear. They're going to know subconsciously that there's something not 100% right. So when you actually explain to them, look, this is what's going on, um, you know, and that, look, it's, you know, something that we have to deal with, um, but you're safe. Once you provide safety for them, that's really, really important. Mm. Um, 
when, so, when they get upset about not being able to see their friends or, or all of that, is, is it sufficient to say, look, love, I know, I know it's very hard, but it is to keep us all safe? Absolutely, yeah. And once you listen to them and encourage them and give them a space to share their thoughts and let their emotions out, that's really important. And if, you know, you give them the space to to label their feelings, to, to tell you what they're feeling or you help them label them, that's really good. Mm. Another really good thing that you can do with them is... Just one, you, one, one last one on that, Sarah. Like, are you doing them a disservice by, by brushing it off and saying, look, that'll be fine, don't worry about it? Yes, I would say so, yeah. You have to... Like, their fears are valid as well and their thoughts and emotions are very valid just as everybody else's is. And the thing, I think in Ireland, we find, we still find emotions quite scary. But when, now we're starting to realise that when we face our emotions head on, they don't last that long. We have a culture of suppressing emotions quite, you know, strongly across the Irish culture. And now we're starting to see the, the really negative impacts of that with mental health and, you know, with depression and anxiety and all of that. But if people just realise that if, you know, it, if you're feeling a strong emotion, it only takes about 90 seconds when you face it head on, when you let it run through your body, mm. and then it's gone. Whereas we, tr- we fight a lot harder to suppress it, mm-hmm. and that causes damage to the body long term. This is like what we do as grown-ups. We go, and breathe. Yeah. Let them breathe. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and even to, to, to help them to process it, by labelling the feeling as well and say, look, oh, you're feeling sad or you're feeling fearful or, you know, that helps them and gives them the tools then down the line to to regulate their own emotions, which is going to be so valuable for them, mm. you know. So giving them that space to express their emotions is really, really important because fear and anxiety, they, they weaken the immune system and as we know at the moment, we need to have them... Do they? Is, is, that, is that a physical truth or is it just something thrown out? Like, is there proof of that? There is, there's proof of that, yeah. And I've, I've looked at studies on it myself and that fear element, it, it brings down the energy of the body. So, you know, it just makes you more susceptible gotcha. to, to whatever bugs are around, I suppose. Gotcha. Um, the best way to remedy it is express, not su- suppress. That's yeah. my, my motto and, and the emotion side of things. Gotcha. Um, so again, to give them a good sense of safety and protection, and you can do that by giving them routine and structure and making them feel protected and loved. Mm. Um, and I always recommend to spend at least 10 minutes with your child one-on-one during the day so you know that gives them that sense of protection that you're there for them and that gives you time then to kind of talk through their feelings and listen to their fears and remind them that they are safe right now in the moment yes and just to encourage them to stay within the moment as opposed to looking down the line or you know looking at things outside at the present moment um bringing themselves back mindfully i suppose with breathing and things like that really helps them and you know the way they are scared they're hearing in the news, they're hearing people talking about death and sickness and and everything like that, and 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 they're frightened, and they want to know: Are they safe? Are Mammy and Daddy safe? Is Granny safe? I can't see Granny. Are is Granny safe? How do you reassure them in a way that doesn't patronise them? I think honesty again with 
being conscientious about what they're able to understand and what, you know, I mean, everybody has a fair idea of their own child and what they're able for, you know. Mm. We, we can all judge that. So taking that into account um, and just giving them the truth, but not in a really terrifying way, because children are so resilient. We don't realise this. They're, they're well able to process things. They're well able to understand. The main thing for children is, the safety environment. You know, if their environment is safe, they trust that their 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 mom and dad or whoever their primary caregivers are going to be there to look after them, and they they can trust in that. Then anything really outside of that, of course, is going to impact. But you know, the main thing is an environment of safety and you know a, a base for them yeah. to go from. Spending uh, so much time at home and so much time in front of screens and and that kind of thing, there, there's a tendency as well a temptation to yeah, chicken nuggets are grand there's no problem with more chicken nuggets or, or more pizza but balanced diet and, and nutrition is, is of key importance Absolutely, very important for their general health and well-being as best you can, look there's going to be days where that's not going to be possible and it's good to have treat days as well, in moderation of course Yeah. and then to balance that with physical activity and brain activity the other thing that I say to people is don't be afraid to let them be bored. You know, it's not the worst oh, thing in the world. I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm it, so glad you brought that up. Just develop it a bit. Um, basically, being bored gives them the chance to use their creativity, use their imaginations. Like, you know, maybe have a few things around that they could use, like pen and paper, or, you know, small things like that. But let them be bored. It's not the worst thing in the world. You don't have to provide 24-hour entertainment for them. Oh, my and God, you're, you're, you're singing to many many of my listeners. I know this, Sarah. Because, look, when I was... And I'm you're much younger than me and whatever. But when I was young, being bored, if you said to your parents you were bored, well, I'll find plenty for you to do. Yeah. Find something for you to yeah. do for yourself. Go and find something to do. And you went out and you rode a bike or you did what... You, you found something to do. And, and the worry is that... I would always have thought that there there is a tendency now in modern thinking to to think that you cannot leave them alone for a second if they're not stimulated, they're not entertained. There'd be something happened to them. Actually, no, being bored is a skill that you need to teach them. It is definitely. I mean, the, there's a, a misperception there that you know you're doing them harm. That's not, or not that you're doing them harm, but that that it's bad for them. That's not the case at all. You're fostering their independence. You're giving them, you know, when like I mean, are you going to be there for the rest of their lives, providing you know the phone and YouTube and you know like you're you're managing every minute of their day when you're doing that, and that's not good for them. They need that independence. They need to use their creativity, they need to use their imagination and they need to be able to entertain themselves. Because yeah. if Mammy always has the if Mammy always has the solution or Daddy always has the answer, they'll never learn to find it for themselves. Exactly, yeah. And I mean going back to my teaching days, especially for the younger infants, um, free play is so important. So like have the have the things there for them and if they're coming up telling you, Oh, I'm I'm sick of this and I'm sick of that say, oh, you know, repeat it back to them. Don't give them an answer. Let them figure it out for themselves because that's going to help their problem-solving skills and, Mm. again, the creativity will come out and it will foster independence and self-reliance in them and that's what you need, really. And you're not a bad parent if the kids are bored now again. No, 
No, no, not at all. Yeah, not at yeah, all. yeah, yeah. What's this about a yes day? A day when no doesn't come into the vocabulary? Yeah, and look, even if they, if if you can only do it for a few hours, that's fine too. So basically, look, children at the moment, they're really at a point in their lives where they've probably heard more apologetic no's than ever, you know, than any time in their lives. So what I'm saying is have a yes day where you can come together, come up with a list of things that you could say yes to them, you know, and different activities. It might be cooking a, a certain meal. It might be, you know, going for a walk, obviously, within your 5K or, you know, going a different route. Just something different where it gives them autonomy and responsibility to choose the activities of the day where they're not going to be hearing no. And, like, you can come up with a wide range of activities that you could do and you could let them choose then so that they're, they're, they're having that bit of control over their lives. You can be is, a little bit manipulative as well, can't you, with that? Because you can decide, right, kids, we're going to do something today and you've put a list together that you know they'll opt for something, yeah. but they're all something you can agree to. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, like, there's lots of different things you could do there, you know. And it's, I suppose, you kind of take your cue from what are they asking for all the time. Look, obviously, within the restrictions at the yeah. moment, it, it's not going to be. Uh, you're, you're not going to have a huge list of things that you can do, but there are things, you know, use your own imagination and creativity and let them help you as well. You know, make it a collaborative thing because children love collaboration, responsibility. They love problem solving. It gives them that great boost to their, their ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree, lastly, Sarah, would you agree with Professor Coyne, when she spoke to me on the programme here last week, and I'm paraphrasing now, I stress, uh, she said that for the most part, when we get to the other side of this, the kids will be fine, but it's up to us to help them be fine. Yeah, definitely. Um, As I said, children are very resilient, and children take their cues from you, from their their primary caregivers. They learn the best uh, by what you model. So they will imitate you, they will copy you. So look after yourself as well, you know. And when they see you looking after yourself, they're going to grow up to know that that's a good thing to do. When they see you looking after your emotions, expressing your emotions, like it's okay to show fear to your children once it's not like out of control that's going to frighten the daylight out of them. But, you know, to a certain extent, like just normalise emotions with them, show them how you look after your emotions, use mindfulness, you know, and you won't go wrong. Okay, thank you for your time this morning. That's Sarah Cooney. Um, She's got an expert behind a new programme of child and teen mental health. Thank you for that. Sarah, 1850-715-996. They'll be grand. They'll be grand. We can help them to be grand. And they they can be bored. I, 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 I'm so delighted that someone is finally saying it's okay for children to be bored. Because there's too much out there about keep them entertained, keep them stimulated, don't let them be bored. They're sitting there staring at the wall. You have to do something. No, you don't. No, you don't. If you give them the opera, I remember one of one of the best things my parents ever did for me was when I was a kid was let me be bored now and again. It's not up to them to entertain me all the time. I went and found my own, which is probably half the reason I'm doing this job right now. I don't think people might. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I think that they should have given me other entertainment. 1850-715-996. Sarah represents the Merry Me Centre. Uh, do we have contact details or a website that I can give them? There will be just great... On the subject of that, she mentioned uh, about how um, fear can damage the immune system. Uh, there has been proof, thanks to Fergal for running this one on screen for me, there has been proof in a, a quite a decent-sized study about two years ago. Um, and There was a conclusive international study that stress levels, particularly in children, stress and fear, uh, can compromise the immune system. So good research there. MarryMeCenter.ie, as in marry me, but take out the A and put in an E. MarryMeCenter.ie, as in Merry Christmas. MarryMe.ie is where you'll get on to Sarah's programme and her expertise. 1850-715-996. There is a protest planned for Cork on Saturday. The organiser or a spokesperson for the organiser of that programme or that um, protest has issued a statement to the opinion line. He has been invited on the show but he himself refuses to come on this show has done for quite some time and that's his right. That's his right. On this occasion I would suggest it's also his loss but he's issued a statement and I shall read it next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Just a sec, just checking my Euromillions numbers. Oh, better come into work today then. When the radio's on in the afternoon, make sure you're with me. I'll give you all the big tunes if you're working. Or just need something to keep you going. I'll be here from midday on Cork's 96F. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 Coming up in a minute, there's a new national public awareness campaign being run by Women's Aid called Hashtag 2 Into You. I'll be finding out what that's about in the next while. But let's come back to this statement issued by the organisers of what's called the Rally for Truth. Now, their spokesman is uh, Diomid Okaile, uh, who has had a long-standing policy of not speaking to this programme, even though, Mr Okaile, Diomid, you are always welcome. You will never be unwelcome, but you are always welcome. But he has a constant policy of not speaking to this programme and that's that's his choice and indeed on this occasion it might well be his loss. They've issued a statement uh, because it's taking place in Cork Saturday highlighting a number of things that they say they're calling for. They say they're demanding an end to lockdown, to uphold people's right to work and to travel and to call for an open debate because they believe government policy is wrong. 
They say Saturday's event would be a peaceful one. The rally has no connection with either the far right or the far left and have already condemned the mindless violence of a tiny few in Dublin last Saturday. Now, we'll be coming back to this story Friday ahead of the event on Saturday. Well, I would say this with regard to, to Mr O'Kyla, um I would not for one moment uh, consider that he or any of those connected to his group would have a violent bone in their body. That's a fact. I don't believe they do. And I've had my tussles with Dermot over the years, both when I was in the newsroom and here, and he chooses not to come on the show, and that's fine, that's that's his right. I don't believe there's a, a violent intended individual in that particular group. What I am concerned about is that the the characters who caused the trouble in Dublin on Saturday, and I tell you, my blocking button, my blocking finger on my Twitter has arthritis in it from blocking them. There is a group gathering to infiltrate Saturday. And whether the Rally for Truth know it or not, believe it or not, or accept it or not, there is a gang trying to get together to make it a bit more intimidating than you would have it. That's all I know. I'm just sick of blocking them on my social media. But Rally for Truth say the event will be a peaceful family one. They have no connection with any extreme groups and have already condemned, which they have. They did condemn the mindless violence of a tiny few in Dublin last Saturday. But have it been known, that tiny few are looking very closely at being caught too. 1850 715996. The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. In association with the National String Quartet Foundation, Tristel Christchurch presents the Banva Quartet on Friday. April 9th. The concert will go live at 8pm on Triscoll's digital stage and tickets are on sale now from the venue's website, triscollartscentre.ie Access all areas Cork's Stephanie Rainey is set to release her second single of 2021, Ross and Rachel, at the end of April and she's confirmed a gig for St. Luke's this December with tickets on sale now for the show which takes place on the 10th Access all areas Feel free to let us know at Access all areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by email emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas Your guide to nightlife on the side On Cork's 96FM This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Call us now 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM and welcome back to that rally story uh, over the next couple of days, but particularly Friday uh, in advance of it on Saturday. At the moment, it goes ahead as planned. Two into you is a national public information and awareness campaign on intimate relationship abuse. And it's signified by that hashtag, two into you. It's been running for a while. Sarah Benson is uh, CEO of Women's Aid. Sarah, good morning. Hi, good morning. What is it about? It, it, it's strange hashtag, too into you. What does it mean? 
Well, Women's Aid have been running um, the To Into You campaign actually since 2011. And last year we did uh, research to look at the prevalence of relationship abuse amongst younger adults and younger people, so 18 to 25. So when we think about what we refer to as domestic violence or domestic abuse, often that kind of suggests that perhaps you're living with the person who is, uh, is, is being abusive towards you. Violence can sometimes imply physical abuse, but actually intimate relationship abuse, we discovered through uh, some focus groups and research, actually resonates much more strongly with younger people who may suffer this kind of um, behaviour. And uh, and some of the ways that that can manifest itself is, you know, these very early relationships. Sometimes it's the very first relationship, you know, when you're in your, your teens even, yeah. um, where on the one hand it can seem like somebody is kind of incredibly romantic, extremely attentive, um, but at a certain point it starts to feel intrusive, it starts to feel controlling, ah. and, and that's where we came with too into you. Um, now I get that it. Actually, yeah. just a little bit too into you and so that's like that red flag of is this a healthy relationship or are we straying into some territory where actually i I, you know i could be finding myself in an abusive situation is this down to and i've i've interviewed people over the years sarah who've gotten out of terribly abusive relationships and it's a very common pattern in that they say he or i suppose she too but he in this case he was the nicest guy in the world. He loved me. He treated me like an absolute princess. He could do, couldn't do enough for me. And then we got together. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think that that's you know people think of the intensity of early relationships and first relationships. Although uh, you know, as you say, it, it, it can be at any age. And you know, our, what our study found is that among eighteen twenty five year olds, one in five young women will have experienced an abusive relationship uh, by the time she's 25, 51% with that relationship starting below the age, age of 18, and then one in 11 um, young men. So there, there is a distinct difference, but it's not to say that this can't happen to men, women, uh, and of course, um, uh, you know, among the LGBT community. And, mm. and uh, while we focus on women, particularly the Two Into You website, you know, we have a, a relationship kind of health quiz. We have signs of... Um, healthy versus unhealthy relationships and, and they're they're drafted in, in a gender neutral style because mm. really those signs go both ways uh, in terms of looking at what's you know um what has been attentive, loving, uh, you know, um admiring suddenly becomes jealous, controlling, critical, um, losing their temper with them, yeah. trying to isolate them, um, you know, all of those kind of red flags that, that can say, actually this is going bad now. Now I suppose it's very important to also say, Sarah, that there are a lot of fellas out there who are just kind and decent and thoughtful and, and haven't got a nefarious thought in their in, in their minds. But there, how do you tell the difference between him and the other guy? Like, are there red flags that people can watch for? Absolutely. And if people go on to, to intoyou.ie, that's T-O-O-I-N-T-O-Y-O-U.ie, there's a little quiz there. And as I say, there there is kind of information on what the difference is between um, a healthy and an unhealthy relationship. And of course, you know, people can... Um, perhaps overstep or, you know, uh, misinterpret things early on in a relationship particularly. And what we would see is... Like some people are just really nice. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> some people, some fellas are just really nice. 
Yeah, and, and we're not talking about nice behaviour. What we're talking about is behaviour that may start as nice, but ah, then actually yeah. gets into the, the kind of um, territory of, uh, you know, say, for example, you might have somebody who, you know, would always text you, say, please text me when you get home. I just want to know you're home safe. That's great. And that's absolutely, you know, considerate, nice, uh, and particularly when you're not living with the person you're dating. That's, you know, a, a really considerate thing to do. However, if somebody is texting you constantly when you're out away from them and yes. just saying, you know, who are you with and what's going on yes. and tell me. And, and then getting annoyed across if you don't reply within, you know, moments or, you know, mm. and, and then interrogating Or if you perhaps afterwards. you didn't text them when you went home because what you do, you, you put your head down and you fell asleep. There's yes. hell to pay yes. the following day. Absolutely. And so what we would say in, in, in any relationship, you know, there is no such thing as an even keel. There are always ups and downs in healthy relationships. And the difference between where something is becoming unhealthy, possibly even abusive versus, you know, natural conflicts that arise and compromises that arise in healthy relationships is if something happens and, you know, uh, and, and one person feels, well, this person is really getting into my space or, you know, they, I'm, I'm feeling a bit suffocated in this relationship. And they say, to, to their partner, you know what, look, I, I know you may be thinking this is nice, this is attentive, but actually I need my own space. I need to have time with my own friends. If the response is, sure, of course I take that on board, you know, I didn't really realise, that's fine, I'll, I'll adjust, I, I get that you need your space. Um, that, that would be a sign of a healthy relationship where, you know, you're working things out, you know, people are sharing, people are listening to each other, and then you adapt because relationships are about compromise uh, to a certain extent. But if the reaction is, you know, for God's sake, you know, I'm, you know, you, you would think that, you know, uh, a girl like you would be glad to have somebody like me caring mm. about them, and, and who would you be without me? And you know, and it becomes critical and blaming, and not actually listening, but but really kind of flipping it I back. That then I would be a, probably a negative response gotcha. and, and maybe a red flag. And, and all of that is is on the Two Into You website. Listen, thank you very much, Sarah, for that. Uh, Sarah Benson, Chief Executive of Women's Aid, and the website is www.twointou.ie. Two Into You. I.e. Kevin wants to know on Twitter what part of stay at home is difficult for these anti-vax flat earthers. And we'll discuss this further later in the week. Uh, and to, as I said before, I have no doubt but that the people b- behind this particular rally don't have a, a dangerous bone in their body, to be quite honest with you, none of them. But some of the crazies that disrupted Dublin and caused carnage in Grafton Street last Saturday afternoon you just know look into social media they are planning to descend on Cork if they can next Saturday and unfortunately by putting on an event like that no matter how harmless it may seem on the face of it the danger is that it'll draw them in that is the concern 1850 715 996. And by the way, any kind of a gathering of any kind like that is illegal at the moment. So the Rally for Truth is illegal anyway under level 5 restrictions at the moment. Can't point that, that out often enough. Under level 5 restrictions, having a rally like even that group plan is illegal. So any mass gathering that should happen in Cork City next Saturday afternoon is illegal from the start.
1850 Interesting story in the Irish Sun today, a political exclusive, quoting an interview with Defence Minister Simon Coveney, who told their political correspondent Adam Higgins, among other things, other things that the Defence Forces are to be brought in to help to supervise mandatory hotel quarantine. Adam, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having us on. You had a chat with Simon Coveney about a number of different things, but this is an interesting one because the army now will be assisting with the operation of mandatory quarantine. Yes, that's right. So there has been this has been something that's kind of been uh, talked about over the past couple of months since since this mandatory quarantine um, plan came about, and there hasn't been much clarity about it until we can give some clarity on it today that it will be private security companies that are being tendered to be brought in to run this mandatory quarantine system. But the Army and the Defence Forces will have a role in supervising those companies. So what you're going to see is that the Defence Forces will have an operations centre within the mandatory quarantine hotels and they will monitor the compliance and make sure that everything is running as it's supposed to be with the companies. So the private company, which... The advice from Melbourne, which, as we heard last week, is don't have a private company, but we are having a private company. But the private company, will they be overseen? Will their operations be overseen by army logistics and army and army personnel? That's exactly how it will run. And it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned um, Australia, because when I was speaking to the minister uh, during the week, he said that he has had calls with his counterpart in New Zealand and in Australia to do, you know, trouble to some of the issues that, that they had with their mandatory quarantine systems and both of them said that it was extremely complex and very hard to run. So the government is trying to get all their ducks in a row for this and it'll be interesting to see uh, how efficiently we can run it here. So the Defence Forces will supervise these uh, private security companies who will run the, the hotels for and, the mandatory And will the private companies be answerable to, say, a senior officer on scene? Mm. There will be defence forces on at the hotels. They'll have a little kind of an operations room where yes. they will kind of monitor the whole system. But the minister was keen to point out that they, the government don't want these facilities to look like a military facility. They don't want rings of soldiers around them because no, it's but, important but, to point out but that... What I mean is that will the defence forces who are on site in, say, a tent or whatever they have, or, or, or a port cabin or whatever they use, like will they, they will oversee the operation and they will, they will tell the, the private security firm what's required? Yes, so they, okay. they've actually been involved for, of setting up the whole system for the past number of weeks. It's the Defence Forces that are really going to show the companies, this is what we need, this is what you're going to do, okay. and this is what you, we want you to do to run it. Okay. On the subject of the vaccine rollout, I think that came up as well. Uh, we've had problems with getting it out there, and many people were saying on this programme last week, Adam Messing, you know, so listen, the Army has a whole logistics and communication and operations wing that could get vaccines out to the four corners of Ireland. Is that being considered? That is exactly what's being considered, and that's the plan now for... Not only is that the plan now for as they as we get more of these vaccines delivered into Ireland, but that is already in part in operation. So what I was told by the minister is that the major logistics teams that are in the defence forces will be charged with um, 
transporting and delivering the doses all around the country. And as you, as all your listeners will know, I mean, we've all become virology experts at mm-hmm. this stage now. This has been going on so long. These vaccines can, can go out of date quick and they're, they're very temperamental when it comes to temperatures and that sort of thing. So he did even tell me about an example last week where the doses were being administered in Dublin and they were going out of date that day. And so the Defence Forces Air Corps flew them from Dublin to Galway same day so that they could be used somewhere else before they went out of date. Ah, that's where that's that that's using the army as 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 we should use the army. I know that the minister Adam had a lot to say about what happened in Dublin last week. We, we're now concerned that something similar may happen in Cork this weekend. What did he have to say? Well, he obviously condemned the the violence that happened at the Dublin protest and said it was thuggery. It wasn't a protest and spoke very strongly about, against what happened there. There now, I did ask him because we had seen last year. I'm not sure if you'll remember. Um, there was situations in Cork and Limerick and Galway with students and some senators had called for the army to be on the streets patrolling to make sure that people adhere to the restrictions. And I said, do you think that's something we could see yeah. when it comes to these protests? Will the guards need help? And he said that he, he doesn't envisage martial law like the, the defence forces, you know, armed troop, trooping up and down the streets to, to stop these protests. He said the guards are more than equipped to handle it. But he did say that the army are ready and trained to do this and have worked with the Gardaí on, you know, terrorist things and situations like that. So they are there if they're needed, but he doesn't envisage that happening. All right, listen, Adam, thank you very much for that full story carried in today's Irish Sun. That's Adam Higgins, a political correspondent, detailed interview with Minister for Defence, Simon Coveney. What we learn is that while private security will operate the mandatory quarantine, the army will oversee and have a lot of... Uh, sway as it were in the operation of it so they will be answerable to the military in terms of how the operation uh, will will roll out and they're also involved involved already in getting the vaccines around to the four corners of Ireland because let's face it the army are damn good at that have you ever, I mean who comes out when we can't get out of our houses which like this time three years ago we couldn't get out of our houses. We couldn't drive our cars. People couldn't get in out of the sticks because they were under several feet of snow. There was telegraph poles down and people without heat and light and water for days on end. Who made it possible for the experts to get in and fix everything? The army. They're just damn good at it. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Reminding you of the lineup this Saturday when you can join Trevor Welsh on 96fm.ie once again for another long day of Premier League Live exclusively online and powered by Talk Sport. Again, a big lineup, live commentary on Burnley versus Arsenal, 12.30. Sheffield United against Southampton at 3. Aston Villa v Wolves at half five and Brighton against Leicester, Leicester at 8 o'clock. And in between all the predictions, the interviews, scores, analysis, you name it, it's there with Trevor uh, on Saturday afternoon on 96fm.ie or indeed on the Cork's 96fm app. It's the Premier League Live online with Now TV. Uh, Only pay for the games that matter to you. Sport on your terms with Now TV and on the Cork's 96fm app or 96fm.ie. Another busy Saturday for Trev and the team this weekend. See there, the examiner have come with a a run, or they've taken a twist on the airport story. The examiner is running a a line on English 
has a headline this morning that Cork Airport is facing an extended closure later this year to facilitate a major runway reconstruction project. This, of course, is the story that broke on the opinion line a couple of weeks back when we weren't sure what was happening, but we knew that no detail had been decided yet with regard to whether this work would would be by day or by night and that there was no decision to be made until a contract was signed. That was our information from a highly dependable airport source. Owen is now going with it in the examiner that there will be an extended closure at the airport to facilitate the major reconstruction will close to all fixed wing aircraft operations for several weeks but uh, things like helicopter search and rescue all those emergency operations and necessary operations will remain in there they will remain in place that's that's the latest that the examiner is running on its website uh, this morning, 1850-715-996, the number to call, the text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696, your email, opinion at 96mm.ie. Seeing some students messaging the show, uh, asking us to please, please recognise that those in Limerick are a minority, and I absolutely do, and I promise you, Josephine, I will read your comment in full, because it's a very impressive one. I'd love if you'd talk to me, but I'll certainly read your comment before the end of the programme because you make an absolutely valid point. The vast, vast majority of students at third level are doing what they're being asked to do, just like the rest of us. They don't like to have to do it, but they're doing it. And uh, what happened in Limerick is still a minority. And Josephine, I'll read that a little bit later. 1850-715-996. We've been all throughout the pandemic, uh, but particularly over the last few months as we are in this uh, level 27 lockdown or whatever. Um, good television shows, strange ones, good crime dramas, good true crime documentaries, weird stuff like Behind Her Eyes. Oh my God, the end of that is so weird. It's so weird. The end of Behind Her Eyes. Don't even go there. Great stuff like Bridgerton, The Crown. We feature them all. New one starts tonight. Or, yeah, starts tonight on Virgin Media. Um, and this one, I think, could be a big talking point over the next couple of weeks. It basically features people having dinner. And it's set up to be an argument. It's got to be set up to be an argument. It's called Eating with the Enemy. Here's a clip from, I think, tonight's episode. The teaching that the church offers is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for two men to love each other, two women to love each other, totally and exclusively for the rest of their days? The answer's pretty obvious. Yes is the answer. The difficulty is where, and as you, as you know this, if two men come to me or two women come to me and ask me to marry them in the Catholic Church, the sacrament yeah. of marriage, it's, it's not, not possible. Yeah, well, exactly. we can't do it. That's a, a discussion between a priest and a drag queen, which is tonight's episode. Another episode coming down the line is this one. This will be interesting. I've judged Miss Ireland and I've judged, I'm the current judge on Miss Bikini Ireland for the last seven years. I don't think it's right to like put people against each other based on looks. It's not looks, that's stereotypical. So it's if a you're beauty gonna, pageant. It's, it's about beauty. looks. It's not about looks. That's What's what you're it about? Wrong. You're asking me, I'm going to tell you. I'm it's about listen. you as a person. And actually, you could probably do it quite well if you learn to listen more with two ears and one mouth. 
It's about your personality. It's about watching you grow. It's a beauty pageant. And beauty pageant as a concept, I don't agree with personally. They're bad. Oh, Twitter's going to go demented when that episode's on. And here's another one. The, the Donald Trump, the whole racism thing was bound to come up. Here's another episode. When someone says something's not racist, you're not, you don't have that call. Well, am I not allowed to say that? You, you are. But if I tell you something is racist, I have um, a reason for saying that. And you can't deny me that freedom to express myself in that way. If I feel so, something is racist, I'm, I think I'm so entitled to say that. So if I disagree with you about something being Oh, you being can disagree, racist. but at least be open to hearing or understanding why um, I say it's racist. Now, the participants and their conversations will be monitored by a number of experts, one of them being in the field of psychology, uh, Dr. Mally Coyne. Morning, Dr. Coyne. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good to speak with you again. This, this sounds like it's going to be a real talking point over the next few weeks. Bringing people together who probably would never spend time in each other's company ever, ever, ever. Absolutely. I suppose that's the whole idea behind the programme that, you know, people, the world has become really polarised and people with opposing viewpoints rarely get a chance to to meet either face-to-face or online. Um, and when they do, and when people express opposing viewpoints, very often, you know, on social media, for instance, you know, they can have, people can have very quick reactions and not give the other person the opportunity to express themselves. So we were really interested in this social experiment to see how people with opposing viewpoints would react to one another when they met face to face. Yeah, because they normally wouldn't like to meet. Absolutely, you know, that, that, that they would be afraid of it. You know, that's what humans do. We tend to congregate and, you know, prefer to be pe- with people that are like ourselves. That's just the way we are in terms of our kind of, you know, our evolution. Um, but it's really important for us as humans to encounter different points of view, um, you know, to, to be able to express ourselves and to listen to somebody else's point of view in a respectful way. And I think that's that's what people are going to see in this show. You will have people that, you know, you've played those clips there that you can see, oh, right, they're very different. And obviously for the contestants on the show, they knew they were about to meet an enemy and they don't, didn't really know, you know, in what way and what kind of person they would end up meeting. So they were in threat mode. Um, mm. So, you know, when they met face to face, you actually found that they did express their views but but they also found commonality because we had these seri- this series of questions, a conversation menu that we were giving them throughout the filming. Yeah, I, that one tonight now, Father Joe. Now, Father Joe's a, a well-known media performer um, he, he, and a very fair and decent man. He always comes across as that. He's paired with someone that I personally have never seen uh, who would be a, a drag queen. A number of things come up, everything from RuPaul to, to, to the marriage referendum. That looks like a... That looks like a conversation where the two of them could end up agreeing on more than they disagreed. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was one of my favorites. You know, I was lucky enough to be at the filming of, of the show at the end of November. And, um, you know, to, you know, at first glance, you would think, goodness, how are they going to find any commonality? Um, but yes, they discussed, you know, really important issues. Father Joe learned things from Bonnie and Bonnie learned things from Father Joe. And they were very, you know, you'll, you'll find tonight that there was kind of a respect for one another. And you see actually in one of the teaser clips, Bonnie says to Father Joe, can I have a second date? <laughs> so it's just brilliant. It's so good. Like, and, yeah. and all those other clips you played actually are from tonight as well.
Okay, okay. Yeah. Jo, jo, like Joe, and I've, I've met Joe briefly, and I've, you know, I've seen him on many. He's an extraordinarily nice man uh, behind it all. I don't know anything about Bonnie, but Joe, and but to, to see them disagree on on things that could be. But I could see the other one, the one between the the beauty pageant judge mm-hmm. and the. I could see that getting a bit sort of hairy. Yeah, it did. You'll you'll find that tonight. It is on that that one is on tonight as well. Yes, Harry, and in a way, you know, there were differences in terms of how people express their points of view as well, and how you know the girl that was speaking to him, Becca, is her name. She really held her own, but she didn't necessarily do it in an overly vocal way. You find that some people can have a really strong presence without actually, mm. you know, being condescending to the other person and without shouting their viewpoints. So her, that her was a really interesting thing. Her body language and her facial expressions say a lot. Hundred percent. Sometimes yeah. silence says a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a controlled kind of way of, of uh, conveying your point of view. Do you know what's a great thing about being adults, Mally? And it's this. We, we learn that I can fundamentally disagree with everything you stand for. But we can still yeah. get on with each other. Yes, and you really find that, and that's what was so good about this conversation menu. This all comes, by the way, from a a Swiss experiment that took place in 2019 where 4,000 people were asked to get together with completely opposing viewpoints. They were given a conversation menu and asked to speak about those those issues. And now it's become a movement in Austria where they have these coffeehouse conversations once a month. Um, again, I don't know, during COVID, they're probably doing them uh, online. But that's what the, the beauty of this conversation menu was. You know, first we started maybe with an icebreaker. So say with Bonnie and Joe, it was kind of like, when people see you, what do they think first? What's their first impression? And obviously Joe is going to say Father Joe about his, you know, being a priest. And Bonnie kind of gave her viewpoint of what people might think of her. And they even can talk about what they thought about each other. So they're instantly breaking the ice. And then they got into really important, those topics that were really important about, you know, marriage and, you know, homosexuality and, you know, freedom of expression, all of that. But then we threw in questions about things like, you know, when have you, what, when have you experienced grief in your life? What was a turning point for you? What makes you angry? Great. You know, what's your greatest fear? And immediately they found kind of ways of having commonality with each yeah. other. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's it's a fun show. The whole lot is on the player to, to, to binge, but the first episode to watch it normally is tonight at 9 o'clock on Virgin Media 1. Uh, Dr. Malicoyne, thank you very much, a clinical psychologist and part of the team on Eating with the Enemy uh, tonight on Virgin Media. I think I'm going to be watching. Actually, can I just... I, it's on the player to binge right now. Little Treasure Trove is the Virgin Media player. If I might just mention it for a second, it's a bit clunky to use as is the RTE player, but what did myself and the Queen Bee find on it last week? Episode after episode of one of our favourite shows, we are massive fans since God knows when, of A Touch of Frost. Uh, David Jason uh, in A Touch of Frost. There are loads of episodes, including ones we haven't seen yet. Uh, so they're there if you go into the player and look for them and there's loads of other stuff as well on it but it's nice to see a touch of frost on the Virgin Media player the only clunky thing about it is because it's free there's ads in it 
Lots of ads. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is back. Our favourite fundraiser returns this May to raise money for Cork Cancer Services. We hope you'll include our Radiothon in your 2021 events calendar. There are many ways to play your part. Organise a virtual coffee break, a no-uniform day, or gather all those loose coins with our change collector boxes. Stay listening for more details on how to raise funds. The 2021 Giving for Living Radiothon, May 20th to 22nd. Only Corks 96 FM. We've been getting a few messages during the morning after we covered the scenes in Limerick last night from people asking us to point out and and just, you know, for the risk of repeating ourselves, which we have done, that most students are not involved in that nonsense and are not interested in being involved in that nonsense and, in fact, get a bad name out of that nonsense. Ella White is a student from Mallow, but presently studying architecture at UL, where I think you're a, a third-year student, Ella. Good morning to you. Hi, BJ. How are you? Nice to see you. Okay, together. Um... You are in UL at the moment. What did you... Now, I know that you may know some people, so let's not name any names here, but you you, yeah. you, you know a bit... You Did you see what happened last night? Um, well, basically, I just wanted to come on because I'm sure everyone's heard now at this stage what happened. We've definitely been getting some bad press in the last few weeks, and after last night, I would say rightly so, because it was all over everyone's phone last night. There was basically a massive... I wouldn't even say party, but more so a street gathering... Um, in College Court, which is kind of one of probably the most well-known estates off campus. But it kind of started about half six last night. I was in my own house at a, in a different estate. And kind of all of a sudden there was these videos. I'd say it started about half six-ish. All these videos of kind of people gathering outside the streets in College Court on the greens, you know, in gardens. And I think kind of how it begun was basically a group of lads and girls just decided to drink kind of out the front where they were visible yeah. and obviously as the night went on more people started gathering so I'd say by about quarter past seven there must have been there could have been easily over a hundred people just out on the street and was and there a kind of a message going around encouraging people to come and join them? I don't think so it was more like the opinion from, from our side anyway in my kind of house it was more so that everyone was kind of watching and awe you know like it was just this thing that was happening over in College Court. I think it was just mainly people who lived there. It kind of was, you know, this, it started off as a group of 10, which became a group of 20, which became a group of 40. And it was mainly residents, I'd say, of College Court. But there obviously now, we can't say that. I'm sure there was other people there. But it was concentrated specifically just in, you know, that estate. Yeah. And by 20 past seven, then we were getting messages that, you know, um, there was guards there. They started out with a few of them and they had by I'd say half seven there must have been several guard vans and we saw videos of you know literally there was guards got of them running and just tackling young lads because it was they wouldn't disperse like it was a mass gathering and they wouldn't go back like so you wanted I, to make yeah. the point Ella and, and to be fair many people have been making it this morning that for the most most of you have no interest in this yeah 
really, I think especially as well because I would say Limerick and probably Galway, from what I've been reading in the papers, you know, the numbers are pretty high and especially in our colleges, you know, even we've been getting emails and stuff from our, you know, head of the school and stuff being like, you know, lads, you need to make a better attempt. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, use of students as the blame. And to be fair, you know, in one way they're right because obviously with things that happened last, last night, there is a lot of numbers coming from students. But it just gets, even last night, just frustrated me and my housemates because, you know, we've been finding it so difficult because, like, 90% of us, you know, we are sitting in our houses, we are not going anywhere, we are literally waking up, you know, doing everything from our bedroom, going to the shop, and that's it, you know? And it's frustrating that there are people like that who are just going out and, you know, it's like, why are we sitting inside and isolating when, you know, they're just just doing things like that because it's just embarrassing and it just embarrasses the whole student body yeah. and it gives the rest of the bad name as well, you know? Yeah, and you and your friends are, are being very careful, as you say. I mean, you have a particular yeah. reason to be careful because you've got someone at home that you can't afford to get infected. I do, yeah. I have a younger sister, BJ, Olivia, and she has Rett syndrome, and as part of that basically means that her like her respiratory system is quite weak, so she'd be prone to things like chest infection. So even though I do live in Limerick during the week, you see, I have a job in the shop, and even though I feel guilty about living in Limerick, when I come home, you know, I wear a mask, I don't, you know, go near her, and it's kind of, you know, I feel guilty just living in Limerick. So it's like we're trying so hard, me and my housemates cannot have any connection with you know, people who are, you know, kind of disregarding, you know, yeah. the kind of procedures in place. So it's just frustrating because it only takes one person to go out, you know, go to what happened last night, then go to another house and, you know, then all of a sudden, you yeah. know, it's spreading to all your, everyone, you know, so. Yeah. Ella, I am so happy that, that you contacted the opinion line to, to give the other side because we know it's a big and very vocal side, but they don't talk out too much on the radio. Yeah. I'm, so gla- I'm so glad that you have done that. And uh, good luck to you, and indeed, good luck to your sister uh, throughout you, this. And the sooner she gets herself vaccinated, and you can all get back to some level of, exactly, of normal yeah. life. Exactly, yeah. Hopefully, one stage we'll get back to normal. So. Hopefully. <laughs> Are there a lot, is there a lot of testing going on in UL at the moment? Have you been tested recently, yeah. for example? I was I was tested a few. I was tested before Christmas, but that was just to do with, basically, my housemate was working in a shop, and one of her colleagues got it, but it was all negative at the end. But there is a massive, there was a massive thing in Limerick about a week and a, I'd say a week or two ago, they started doing, they started kind of making more importance of mass testing in Limerick. I think that's why the cases were so high because, you know, a lot of students were availing of it. So it's, it is very good, you know, I know a few people who've gone in who've wanted to go home for a few weeks and they've gone in and got tested. So it's a very, um, it's a very good procedure to have in place. So it's definitely, you know, hopefully it's a good step forward and people are going to start getting tested more. Brilliant. Great. Uh, Listen, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so thank you so much, Ella, for contacting the opinion line on Cork's ninety six minutes. That's Ella White. She's from Mallow. She's a student at UL, third year architecture student. Please give us a break, she says. Most of us were sitting at home watching this. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Morning, PJ. This is from Josephine. It was sad to hear of the party gatherings of young people in Nimerick near the college. Isn't it funny? Young people are in the news. And I'm saying all along to you that the college students are the forgotten ones. Only when something like this happens, it makes news. If only you all know how most are being so good and studying online and pretty much doing this alone. I feel so sorry for them and so upset when it makes news. Please highlight those who are alone. Personally, I think they're amazing and a credit to us all. And don't forget, they are our future. Many thanks from Josephine. The majority are just like Ella and her mates. But Rachel says, throw them all out of college. 
I'm so sick of hearing incident after incident. Tough measures need to be brought in. Otherwise, they don't give a monkey's about breaking COVID rules. Do these brats not have grandparents they care about? Have they no conscience? Have their parents no conscience? Let them move out. There's no college open. Let them study from home. Serious consequences for serious rule breaking. I'm just raging. My eldest two kids, first and second year in college, have not been in college once this year. And I haven't seen friends, them or, or me, haven't seen friends in a whole year. It's not fair on those abiding by the rules. My kids were heartbroken looking at that last night on their phones. So pretty much taking Ella's point there. Rachel, thank you for that. And Becky, the whole point of college life is socialising. It's very tough on them. I don't condone large, large gatherings, but I'd like to hear their point of view on their COVID journey because COVID has affected everyone. Thanks, PJ. Uh, Atakan, uh, absolutely disgraceful scenes, which I completely condemn. I'm a young person at home from college for the past year. I haven't partied. The excuse of, oh, young people are tired of restrictions is absolutely not good enough. It's beyond sickening, says Dylan. Health workers and Gardaí working hours and hours. These idiots give them the two fingers. Students need to be thrown out. The college seems to be a very seem to have a very relaxed approach to life. And Kevin, who says, I vaguely remember my early 20s, like most listeners. Not sure I'd have coped very well with lockdown, any different to those students, if I'm honest. But I think at the same time, Kev, knowing you as I think we do, you'd probably have made the effort to stay out of it. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Just a sec, just checking my Euromillions numbers. Oh. Better come into work today then. When the radio's on in the afternoon, make sure you're with me. I'll give you all the big tunes if you're working or just need something to keep you going. I'll be here from midday on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, every time I mention a TV show or a news show like uh, Eating with the Enemy, which is tonight on Virgin Media 1, people start... And I love this, by the way, and as we get closer to the end of any week, it's great to come into Friday with loads of good recommendations. Uh, people coming to remind me that White House Farm is very good. It is. I've seen it. It's brilliant. White House Farm is a great show. Uh, based on a true story, but fictionalised and very accurately fictionalised too. So it's really, really good. That's good. And as I said, I finished behind... Her eyes. Oh, my God. I'm not going to reveal anything. No spoilers. Oh, my God. (laughs) You will go, what the hell have I just watched? What the hell have I just looked at? But it's worth it. It's well worth it. 1850-715-996. Lovely story in today's Echo of Ella Prendergast from Churchfield, who came up with an idea that she wanted to help the homeless, but she had an unusual way of raising the money to do it. Ella's mum is Susan. Hi, Susan. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. Bright young lady here. What did she do? Oh, she's fantastic. Uh, Will I pop her on to you and she can explain all about it? That'd be great. No, brother. She's sitting next to me here. She wants to talk to you. Hello. Hi, Ella. Hi. So what did you, you started a swear jar. Yes, I did. 
What did you do? How did you do that? Um, I started in January just thinking, oh, what can I do for January? And I thought that I could do a swear jar. Right. So I started telling all my family, my nans, my granddads, and they all said that they would do it. So we started doing it at January. So when they, if they used a swear word, they had to put money in the jar? Yeah, so if they said a swear, they had to put in a euro. And if me and my brothers and sisters were bold or naughty, we'd have to put in a euro as well. Okay, okay. And did you gather a bit of money? I got um, 145 euro. Good for you. Well, that committed a lot of bad language in the house, was there? <laughs> a bit. <laughs> so then... What did you want to do then? You had your money in your jar and you wanted to do something. Well, I didn't really know what to do at first and I was talking to my brothers and sisters about what we should do and I, my mom found um, this place called Street Angels yeah. and I thought that it was really good so she also found then that Tobin's were matching um, the food and the dinners that if we give foods then they'll match it right so we started giving it to Tobin's and they matched it and go to Street Angels right and then on Monday night they go down and they give it out to the people fantastic. that are homeless fantastic you, I see that one of the ways you made a bit of money was when your dad was watching a match yeah <laughs> why does he swear watching a match once or twice he does. <laughs> yeah, you'd make you'd have made a fortune out of me too, Susan. If I, or, or <laughs> Ellen, uh, Ella, if we we're watching a match, let me stay there a minute for me with your mum, and we'll bring in. Uh, you mentioned the Street Angels, Hazel from the Street Angels. Hi, Hazel. Good morning. How are you? How are you, my love? Good, good, good. Now, you got the money from Ella, and what did you do with it? Uh, we uh, bought. We put it towards these new sleeping pods. Okay. They're um, an in, um, an insulated sleep pod. Right. And um, they keep them warm, and they're waterproof. Right. And they're they're well, they're in Ireland now for a bit. We uh, got them transported, but I got the rehab guys that I send the guys for addictions to in Tipperary and they picked them up in Dublin and brought them down to me last week. Great, great, okay. And they work out about 35 euros and then I put up a, a piece just asking anyone would they like to sponsor a sleeping pod and the um, response has been phenomenal. Great. And and you went down, Ella, didn't you then? You went down to see the pods and to meet ha oh. Hazel, didn't you? Yeah, I went down on Monday night. Last Monday night. Brilliant. What's and it? she was a trooper. She's going to be our new little star for Street Angels, our little mascot. She, oh, she got on so well with them all. And we can't wait to have her back next Monday night. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it fantastic, Hazel, that, you know, someone who's only 10, it's not, we, their, it's not their job to worry about these things yet, but, it's but, not, but, but, but she does, you know. It's great. out to think of others, then she could have used the swear money to buy stuff for herself, but she didn't. 
You yeah. know, and it's an inspiration that the youth of today, you know, can think ahead where an adult wouldn't even probably cross their mind. You know, you're not wrong at all. Susan, come back to you for a second. How proud how proud are you of this little trooper? Oh, I can't even I can't even put it into words. We're just so inspired by her. Yeah. Like she just thinks so differently to think about others and put other people first. Like she could have easily just said, We're gonna spend the money on a takeaway or we can buy something nice online but instead she was like, No, I wanna give it back, I wanna help yeah. people and need it because we don't need things like that at the moment. Can so. I have her for one second? Ella, are you there? Yeah. 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 Can I ask you something? Where, where did you learn to be so kind? Well, my dad used to go and um, volunteer to help in penny dinners. I see. And, I, and she used to do it a lot, so I kind of um, picked it up off him, being nice and helpful to others. You know what? You're brilliant. And you keep that up. You keep Thank that up. You. Well done. You're 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 absolute credit to your family and, and to everyone connected to you. That's young Ella Prendergast and her mum Susan and Hazel Dennehy from Street Angels, ten years of age. And she came up with the idea of a swear jar. And I love the way she made money out of her dad while he was watching matches. Now there's clever. There's clever. Wouldn't that now, for all that goes on and all the nonsense we have to put up with in our lives from day to day, wouldn't that just put a very wide smile on your face? There's our little moment of joy for today. The way has been cleared. I'm reading from the examiner. Podrick Hoare has the story. The way has been cleared for one of the biggest infrastructure plans in recent Cork history, the M28 motorway between Cork and Ringeskiddy. This is obviously a project we've talked about many, many times on the opinion line. It's been the subject of legal challenge after legal challenge and controversy and argument for quite a number of years now. But legal challenges uh, to the project have reached their natural end in the court system. The, the residents of the area had been challenging on board Planola's decision to give it the green light. It's a 14-kilometre motorway. Uh, and go through Douglas, Mirabourg Hill and Rochestown and they wanted to bring the whole thing to the Court of Appeal but it has been refused and then they wanted to petition the Supreme Court but it uh, that's now been declined as well uh, ruling in full is due to be published but it means that the work can get underway the first tranche of the work is land preparation about 30 million Euro worth. Uh, we don't know how long it's it's likely to take. Maybe uh, Thomas McHugh, Director of Public Affairs with Cork Chamber, can tell us. Thomas, good morning to you. Good morning. Yeah, um, very, very positive news from an infrastructural investment perspective to see this project uh, finally, you know, make its way out the other end of the judicial system. And um, with those preparatory works, um, you'd be looking potentially at a start date of 2024 for the main works uh, and a completion date of 2027. So I think if you put that back to back with the Dunkettle interchange, for example, you see, I suppose for the first time um, since the last significant economic cycle, a major level of infrastructural investment in Cork, which is very, very welcome. And, you know, looking down to, to the IDA lands in Ring of Skiddy, um, to the existing industry that there, you know, many of whom have, have had a very, very strong growth trajectory over a number of years, but have seen 
you know, the road in its current format as a constrained. Um, looking to the Port of Cork facility there, that eighty million investment, which is really, really strongly coming to fruition now with Brexit and additional routes to Zabruga and the US. Um, you know, and then looking to, for example, the city docklands and being able to, I suppose, finally, um, you know, progress the urban regeneration there by by virtue of the port being able to move the whole of its activities um, down into the lower harbour. Mm. Um, and, the, and the strength of the lower harbour in its own right, actually, um, it's not necessarily always understood, but the strength of the economy in the lower harbour and the population base in the lower harbour um, is easily an equivalent to, you know, another comparable or, you know, second or third city region in, in Ireland, right? So, yeah. so there's very, very strong momentum there. And, um, and another interesting piece is, is I suppose, the, the, the emerging strength in renewables. Um, and we're looking at the renewable energy. Um, and we had a report ourselves out a couple of weeks ago looking to the future of that sector. Yeah. When you look at all of those pieces of the puzzle, PJ, coming together, um, it's potentially very, very promising. Yeah. And on a most basic level, it will provide, a, you know, over the next couple of years, as the economy kind of gets back on its feet, to have that strong level of uh, infrastructural investment. Like it creates its own activity during construction, but it creates a lot of confidence thereafter. Now, the look, the steering group, the M28 steering group who we've spoken to many times on the programme, they're quoted in both Examiner and Echo today, saying they're very disappointed, but they've exhausted all avenues open to them and they just have to accept it and move on. You could see, though, where they were coming from. They they wanted it done a different way. They didn't... uh, They accepted it had to be done, but they just wanted it done a different way. Yeah, I think um, think the steering group, you know, they engaged throughout every stage of the planning process. Um, right through to, you know, the very, very detailed, um, you know, board panel oral hearing, which was held um, in Cork over a number of weeks, a couple of years ago. And look, a very, very articulate and very constructive um, dialogue was engaged in throughout that phase. Um, then more laterally turning towards the judicial review um, phase, which, you know, judicial review is, is more around, you know, the technicalities of planning rather than necessarily the merits of a project. So, look, we have we've a very interesting system in Ireland. We have a very, very high... Um, level of um, you know planning uh, consent with on board Planola, and that's quite a unique system. And um, look, you know, in equal measure, the, the the team and Cork County Council have brought the project forward. You know, have made you know you know as, 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 uh, you know numerous uh, improvements to the project, and numerous uh, you know alterations, and yeah. numerous um, you know evolutions of it. So look, I think um, you know when you're looking at a large scale infrastructure project such as the M28 and you know, looking forward to the M20, for example, um, you know, it's, it's, it goes without saying that there'll be differing opinions on it. And hopefully we get into a lot of, um, a lot of similar discussions, PJ, over numerous yeah. years. Look, when whenever, whenever you go to, whenever you go to build a road, whenever you go to build a road of any kind, you're going to get something like that. But I think what I sense from you, Thomas, uh, sounds from your voice certainly is that at the end of the day, the important thing is nobody walks away enemies. It's, it's done. It's dusted. Let's do it. No, I think that that's spot on. And look, it's very important for people to engage in the planning processes. And again, when you look at the volume of significant infrastructure investment that's coming into Cork, with a huge program with Bus Connect, with the light rail, with the cycle network, I suppose the key message to, to everybody, you know, and, you know, the city region and the population is growing and, you know, people are, you know, you know, highly, highly educated and have very strong opinions about, you know, how best to progress the economy and the community. I think the best thing that people can do is engage early, you know, influence the form and design of these projects um, and make sure that, you know, um, we have a good proactive discussion about how we evolve because like, okay. Cork is the fastest growing city region in the country and we have um, with the National Development Plan a huge opportunity to ensure that we've got the investment to match okay. and we just need to make sure that we, 
a point in the right direction and that we take every opportunity as it comes. Okay, well, according to this, thank you, Thomas McHugh, Director of Public Affairs at Cork Chamber. Looks like we will be driving on the new M28 sometime in 2027, which would be... That's where it's gone. I, I bet you it'll be 2028. We'll be driving on the 2028. We're driving on the M28 in 2028. These things rarely, if ever, finish bang on time. So maybe 2028. But wouldn't be interesting opening the M28 in 2028. Who knows? We might always still be here. 1850-715-996. Just before I go to Neville, um, fantastic efforts for a young Cork kid uh, in urgent need of funding for a life-changing operation. Incredible effort being made. Just want to read a comment from Andrew. Why, oh why, could the army simply not have formed a ring of steel around those students last night and the guards arrest each and every one of them instead of the haphazard way in which it was dealt with? If we can't control a small group of teenagers, it doesn't bode well for what they may have to deal with in any possible protests on Lee's side. Well, I think if you were listening back earlier to Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun, who's done a major interview with the Defence Minister Simon Coveney for today's paper, he said that the Minister had said, look, while the army remains on standby and prepared and open to us to use, we don't intend to use them that way, because that'd be heading down the road of, of, mil- of martial law. Uh, and he doesn't want to go down that road. 1850-715-996. So, Neville, Neville Murphy, good morning to you. Hiya, PJ, how are you? Good. This has been an incredible response to Ali's fundraiser. Tell me about her first. That has, yeah. No, it's been, it's been incredible. Um, Ali is five and a half. She's getting a child. Um, she was born prematurely, about six weeks premature. Um, at the time, you know, we, we you know, just took it as a, a traumatic birth. Didn't look too much into it. Um, life went on as normal, and uh, she missed her milestones, her developmental milestones. She missed them by by a mile, really. So, uh, you know, she had a small squint in her eye too. And over time, the doctors who were still kind of looking after her in 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 the uh, university um, in in the the uh, maternity hospital kind of put two and two together. Really, that you know she's probably not progressing as she should have done, and uh, you know there could be something underlying there. And I suppose every child that's that's premature, um, there's a risk that they're going to have cerebral palsy. You know, we knew nothing about it at the time. It's, it was it wasn't on our radar. Yeah. But uh, you know, she was um, put in for an MRI while she was still under the care up there, and they eventually diagnosed cerebral palsy, which was uh, a bit of a, a hammer blow, really, to us. Obviously, we knew yeah. nothing about it. And when you hear about these things, especially these broad medical terms, you you fear the worst. You know, it's. Um, you know, the it's, surgery it's, that she's having, or she is, is hope to have. Yeah, it's, for it's her. surgery she's having. Yeah, so yeah. Not, you can't you can't cure it as such. There's no cure yeah. for cerebral palsy. But this SDR, we've talked about it before. Yeah. A lot of people have to go to America for it, but yeah, you can get yeah. it done in the UK. You can, you can do it in the UK as well. Yeah, so um, a lot of people go to the states. There's a kind of um, you know, there's a, a, a very good doctor over Dr. there. Park, we, we yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. We just thought as a family, England would be a better fit for us. Um, of course, you know, it's easier to get to. It's. You know, we, you know, we're, we're effectively the same. You know, we're we have the same interests, the same likes. You know, it's the same, same everything really. I met the doctor a couple of times. myself and Laura met him one on one, and we we were really taken aback by him and by his. You know, the setup over there. They're a centre of excellence for this operation. You know, so it's 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 the real deal. You know, it's 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 um, you know, there's a lot of research coming out of there, and he's he's a very very good guy, and he's a good team. Yeah. Um, 
I went back then with my sister and her partner. They're both medical people. And again, you know, they were taken by him, you know. And, you know, so I trust him, really, is, is the word. And, uh, you know, it's just taken this long due to, you know, COVID has, has meant, you know, even getting over with Ali has been impossible. So, yeah. you know, we had we had originally discussed with him in, in October and he'd given us kind of a loose date of January, but uh, we just couldn't get there with COVID and, and, you know, the Irish numbers are crazy, the, the English numbers are crazy. Yeah. You know, all the elective procedures were ceased over there and their, their kind of day beds became COVID beds. So yeah. it's just yeah. taken this long and, you know, Laura reached out to him about a week or two ago and just said, look, are we anywhere near getting a date? And they gave us a date in April, so it was... A case of Frankie, we've got to we've got to go for it and go yeah. for it quickly, you know. And of course, there is no assistance, uh, disgracefully so. There is no assistance from 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 yeah, the HSE. Like it's, it's, it's obviously not done here. Because yeah, it's such a specialised operation. Eighty so grand. You've got, I'm yeah, looking at the GoFundMe scheme. Yeah, I know. This morning, right, fifty. I, I just clicked it again. Fifty-three thousand yeah. five hundred euro. I know. In, in in how long? We had there's a bit of family funding in that, but the, the, the GoFundMe bit only went up on Saturday because Get we just had to because we were running out of time, and it was, um, you know, within minutes it, it kicked off, and especially community-wise, you know, like we we went down to the local shop just to to get a few bits and pieces, and one of the girls made came out, and you know, within two minutes she had set up a hamper for raffles. You know, it's it's that sort of you know that it points that the reach of social media is huge and for the right purposes and the right reasons. And the people are very good. Oh, I'm looking in here now. Very good. I'm looking in here. You know the way GoFundMe gives you... Someone's given you an anonymous donation of 35k here. Well, that's the family one all kind of bundled into that. I have you. Yeah. So... But even, you know, there's anonymous of of thousands in there, you know, a couple of thousands each, you know. Brilliant. But to be honest with you, the, the, the more touch, like they're brilliant, okay, but the more touching ones are the people who give a fiver when yes, they don't they have are. a fiver to give. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And, you know, a person might have 50 quid for the week and they choose to give us a fiver and we don't know them, you know. Yeah. And even the local support has been brilliant. Like, I'm from Monkston originally, Laura's from Black Rock. You know, we bought a house in Crosshaven. We're not from Crosshaven, but the local support has been brilliant. I suppose they would have seen Ali kind of potting around in her walker down there and, yeah. you know, she, she's a very cute girl, you know, I know I'm biased, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, People know her a lot better. She, she looks like her. a little demon, actually, with a big smile on her face. Yeah, she's uh, feisty and independent, put it that way. So <laughs> Good for she her. She loves coffee as well, so if any if any local coffee um, shop is listening out there, you know, we'll have a, a little cappuccino with her name on it, please. Oh, Honestly, brilliant. she loves coffee. No, she's gas. She's, uh, yeah. she's, so, so you need, she's so independent, you yeah. know, she really is. She's great. But when he you know, she knows travel. very little about this. <laughs> um, so that's another thing, though. So we had the passports done for the lads this morning, so we have to get them done. Um, we'll have to drive over, obviously, because there's near chance of getting a flight anywhere near. So we'll yeah. go via Dublin to Hollyhead and drive over. Yeah. So the date they've given us is the 1st of April. And then, obviously, we have to quarantine around that. So, yeah. you know, if, you know, we, we, we're looking to find out if we're quarantining there or here. Yeah. So if it's here, knock 10 days off that, and that's when we have to go, you know? Right. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that's uh, Holy Thursday, actually, is the 1st. First of April, so around around Easter time. Yeah, it's it's it, it, it would be the last kind of uh, last blast of surgery done over there before they break for Easter. Fantastic. So, so look, uh, here's look, ho- there's never a good there's never a good time. So it, here's no here's hoping it all comes together for you. That GoFundMe yes. is. I think we've shared it. Yeah, look, and if anyone searches for Allegra, there can't be too many of them out there. So right, you know, okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there with you, Neville, because time is against me. But thanks very much, and good luck to Ali, and good luck to the family. Uh, on their journey. SDR in the UK. We've talked about it in America, but the UK is where they're headed 
for their operation, hopefully around the 2nd of April. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.